thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your love and your grace. We thank you for your word. And I pray this morning that each of us, Lord, would be prepared for what you want to minister to our hearts. And Father, we know that, Lord, it's only by your spirit that we have understanding. And Father, we pray that your spirit would teach us. And Lord, we just pray that it would impact our lives, Father God, and we would truly understand what it means to abide in you, to have a deep personal relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. So we love you. We praise you. We pray that you would be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. John 15. Now let me say this, that this to me is a great, great chapter. And it happens right in the middle of of Jesus' last words to his disciples right before he goes to the cross. We talked about the fact that beginning in John 13 is what was called the upper room discourse. Jesus was just hours away from being arrested, and then he would be taken away and be, be mocked and beaten and scourged and then eventually crucified and raised from the dead. But now he's giving these last words to his followers, to his disciples, before he goes away to be crucified. And as he's doing that, he began by washing their feet in chapter 13, revealing the heart of a servant, that we should have the heart of a servant. And then after that, he he washed their feet, but then he began to prepare them for what was to come. He said, one of you is going to betray me. And those of you who were here a couple weeks ago remember that they all looked around and had no idea who it was. Showing that Judas, from the outward appearance, was just like any man, But God looks on the heart, and God knew what kind of man Judas was. He had duped the other apostles, but you can't dupe God. He then said, my time has come, and I'm going to be going away. And when I go away, you cannot follow me. And then he told them that Peter would deny him three times. And so we see that these guys who've been following the Lord for three years, this is a heavy message to them. Guys, I'm going away, you can't follow me. One of you is going to betray me. Peter, you're the spokesman, and you're going to deny me. And no doubt they were in a, in a state of shock. No doubt they were anxious. And Lord, what do you mean? How can we not follow you? Lord, I left everything I have to come after you. Lord, what are we going to do once you're gone? Then we saw in chapter 14, the last couple of weeks, that the Lord then followed it up by encouraging them. And he gave them in response to their fear and their anxiety and their worry. He said, let not your heart be troubled. And then he gave them seven promises. Promises that applied both to the apostles and apply to you and I this morning. And here are the promises, and and we just need to remember these. Number one, you're going to heaven. He said, hey guys, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a house for you. And in my Father's house, there are many mansions. And we have the the privilege and the blessing to know that we're going to heaven. Amen? And you know what? When you're going through difficulties in life, it's a blessing to know where the the road's going to end. It's going to end when we get home in glory. Jesus is all you ever need. He told him that he's the way, the truth, and the life. You can know the Heavenly Father. You have the privilege of prayer. You can have the Holy Spirit living within you. Your Heavenly Father loves you, and you can have peace. Now, he gave all these assurances to the, to the apostles, saying, Look, guys, I'm going away, but the Holy Spirit's going to come and live inside of you. And you will still have the love of the Father. And you're going to heaven. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And I'm still the answer you've been looking for. I'm still the way. I'm still the truth. I'm still the life. That's not going to change. And so chapter 14 ends after him sharing these promises with them. And he says, let us go from here. So now they're going to get up from the upper room. And they're going to begin to travel to where the Lord would be arrested. Those of you who go to Israel with us next March. We're going to go in these very spots where they come from the upper room. And they're going to walk down, and they're going to go down through Jerusalem. They're going to walk through the Kidron Valley. And after they get through the Kidron Valley, they're going to go up to the other side, to the Mount of Olives. 
And then halfway up that slope, the Mount of Olives, is a garden there where Jesus often went with his apostles to pray. And it's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And when we go to Israel, we'll be praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's pretty awesome that it's still there and God's preserved it. It's awesome. But that's where they're headed. And it's important to understand that they're going, but Jesus is still giving his last words, words of encouragement to strengthen these guys as he's getting ready to leave. So we're going to look at two things this morning. They're going to reveal the character of our Savior. First of all, we're going to look at the, the, the vine and the branches. We're going to see that Jesus is the vine and that we are the branches. And we'll see the significance behind that. That when we abide in Christ, there's several things that will be evident in our life. And we'll look at those each individually. Then we're going to see that not only do we have a relationship with Him, that He's the vine and we're the branches, but we're His friends. It's pretty awesome to know that you're God's friend. Amen? When I was a youth pastor, kids used to say to me, Yeah, man, if I get in trouble, my homie's got my back, man. I ain't worried about it. I used to go, Dude homie ain't got no back. Hey, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is my best friend. You talk about a homie got in your back, amen? You talk about somebody that's behind you. You talk about somebody that you can hold on to. Jesus Christ is my best friend, and God is your friend. What an awesome thing to know. He's not a faraway, distant God who, you know, you're too insignificant for him. You, he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He that knows you best loves you most. He said, this is how much I love you, and he died in your place. And so we're going to see this morning that we truly are his friends, and we'll see the results of that. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at this relationship and a message I entitled, Abiding in Christ, beginning by looking at the vines and the branches. So he says, let us go up from here, and they begin to walk, and as they're walking along the way, look at verse 1. He says, I am the true vine. Now this is interesting and significant. This is the final one of the I am statements. Throughout the Gospel of John, there's seven statements where Jesus says, I am, and then follows it up with something. Now, we've talked about this repeatedly, but remember back in the Old Testament, when at the burning bush, when Moses said to to God, speaking to him from the burning bush, when he was being sent out to go and deliver the people from the bondage in Egypt, he said, what shall I tell him your name is? And he said, I am that I am. Ego ami. I am that I am. And those are the exact same words that Jesus now uses in each one of these I am statements. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And every one of those reflects the character of God. He's the bread of life in that He feeds us. He's the light of the world in that He shows us and reveals to us the truth. He's the door of the sheep in that He's the only way that we can get into heaven. There's no other way. He's the good shepherd in that He cares for us. And He loves us so very much. He is the resurrection and the life. He's triumphed over sin and death. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So lastly here, he says, I am the true vine. Now, it's interesting that they had just had the Lord's Supper. What did they take at the Lord's Supper? Who remembers? What did they, what did they when he said, he held up the elements, what did he hold up? Bread and the wine. Do you remember that? He said, this is my body which is broken for you. And then he said, this is my blood. And it's interesting that the blood is... Or the wine is, is what? It's fruit of what? It's fruit of the vine. And Jesus Christ is the true vine, and the blood that he would shed on the cross is the fruit of the vine in the sense that his blood would be shed for us. And he says, I am the true vine. Now, why is he the true vine? Let me tell you, there's three different kinds of vines in the Bible. The first one is, is called the noble vine or the past vine, and it referred to Israel. It was a vine that 
sadly produced wild grapes. Instead of producing, producing righteousness, it produced unrighteousness and had to be disciplined by God. It says in Jeremiah, Yet I have planted you a noble vine, a scene of the highest quality. How then have you turned against me into a degenerate plant of an alien vine? In Psalm 80, it describes Israel as a vine brought out of Egypt, planted in the deep, good soil of the land of promise. And they still turn their back on God. And so to, to the Jews... The vine was Israel. To the Jews, the vine was religion. To the Jews, that was the thing that they viewed as the source, the vine, Judaism, religion, Israel. Now, as they're walking along the Kidron Valley, when they would be walking along, the temple is massive. And on the temple gates, there was a huge golden vine. And this, as they're walking, this is Passover. And at Passover time, there's always a full moon. So as they were walking over to the Kidron Valley, walking away from Jerusalem, they would have walked right by the temple gate. And the full moon would have been shining upon that vine. And I believe this is when Jesus says to them, I am the true vine. They look up and they see the awesomeness of the temple, and they see the the religion that, that it represents. And Jesus is telling them, guys, I'm going away. And the answer is not the temple. It's what the temple pointed to, which is the Messiah. It's not Judaism, it's not religion, it's me. I am the true vine. That's a a vine of the past. It's no longer seeking after religious truth, but seeking after the true and living Savior. Later in Mark, it describes, and most of you remember this story in Matthew 21 as well, how God repeatedly sent messengers to restore the vineyard to its true purpose. Remember the, do you guys remember the parable of the vineyard owner? Remember how he sent out his servants to to bring his portion that that had been reaped from the crop. And what did they do to the servants? They beat him, remember that? And sent him back empty-handed. And finally he said, I'll send my son. Him they'll respect. What did they do to the son when he sent him? They killed him. And it's a picture of Jesus Christ. He said, he's telling them and forewarning them that look, that vineyard that I've given into your hands, I am the vine dresser and my son is is the one, the true owner of the vineyard. And sadly, they beat him thinking they could take it for themselves. Jesus is the true vine, and he's letting them know. Now, it's interesting, there's a future vine described in Revelation 14. And it's a vine of the Gentile world that's being ripened for the judgment of God. So you got the past vine, you got the future vine, and now you got the true vine. And the true vine is Jesus. And he's letting his guys know very clearly that, that, you know, you guys are going to be kicked out of the temple. What would happen to them after the crucifixion? Were these guys hanging out in the temple? Were these guys a still active part of Judaism? Or were they wanted men? They were wanted men. And he's saying to them, guys, even though they kick you out of the temple, even though you're not part of the religious system anymore, even though you're not considered to be Jews, you have not been taken away from the vine because I am the true vine. And your relationship is not from religion. Your relationship is from being grafted into me. It's not the temple. It's not Judaism. It's not the nation. Then he says there in verse 1, And my Father is the vine dresser. God the Father, what does He do? He nurtures, He prunes, and He protects the vine. He cares deeply about its growth and and the fruitfulness of of its branches. So who is it that watches over and protects the church? It's God. We are grafted into the vine, and He is the vine dresser. He is the one that watches over and protects us. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes 
that it bear, may bear more fruit. Now let me tell you a little bit about branches. Apart from the vine, what is a branch? It's a dead stick, right? The branch only has life if it's grafted into the vine. You pull the branch away from the vine, it's a stick. It's dead, it has no value. And it says right there in this context that apart from me, if, you're apart, if you do not bear fruit, he takes you away. Now, it's interesting that the life must come from the vine. The branch cannot have life in and of itself. It must be grafted in. We also know that if it's not grafted in, it does not receive nourishment and it bears no fruit. You know, throughout the Bible, Jesus uses these kind of analogies. He, he uses the marriage analogy of, of the bride and the groom. He used the analogy of, of a body and its members, of sheep and its shepherd. And a member of the body cut off from the body will die. Have you ever seen an arm all, all by itself? You cut an arm off, it dies. Because the source of life is in the body. And the same is true that the source of life is in the vine. And we are but branches. Which means that we cannot have life in and of ourselves. Which means that you and I cannot be good enough, we can't strive hard enough, we cannot bear fruit unless we are grafted into the vine. What did Jesus say? I am the what? I am the true vine. If you're not grafted into Christ, you're dead spiritually. If you're not grafted in and linked to Him, you cannot bear any fruit. Apart from Him, as we're going to see, you, we can do nothing. And so He's making a very clear statement to, the, to these guys to encourage them, but to also let them know that the source of all fruitfulness in life comes from Him. For the branch, the vine is the only source of life. Apart from the vine, it is dead. And so too, our source of life is Jesus Christ. And apart from Him, we are dead. Now it says there, the ones that do not bear fruit, He takes away. You know what a vine dresser does? A vine dresser goes and they know that dead stuff on the vine inhibits the vine from bearing fruit. And so the dead branches, it will pull out and take away and remove them. And it will even also go to the, to the live branches, we're going to see in a second, and it will prune back the dead parts, or even the living parts that keep it from bearing fruit. The vine dresser has one focus, that there's fruit. Amen? That's his whole passion. Do you know God's desire for you and I is that we bear fruit? And as we're going to see this morning, that we bear some fruit, and then it says more fruit, and then ultimately it says much fruit. Now, and we're going to see as we continue on that the way that you know that we're abiding in Christ is that we must bear fruit. God will take from the church all these professed Christians who have no evidence by their lives that they're truly saved. They produce no fruit. They have not been born again. Now it says here that every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Every true believer bears fruit. Show by our lives in varying degrees that we are new creations in Christ. You know what? You don't become a Christian and then just live the same way you used to live. You're, a, you're different. You've been transformed. The Bible says it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I'm a new creation. I'm a new person. You know what? The whole world is looking for the meaning of life. And they try to find it in money, and they try to find it in relationships, and they try to find it in their, in, their, in their jobs or in their professions, and they seek after it with their whole heart, and then they find out that it's very empty. Yesterday I was watching an, an old special. Have you know, heard, know of a guy named Kirk Cameron from an old TV show called Growing Pains? They're interviewing him, and he was saying, you know, I was like 17, and they were paying me more money than anybody could ever spend. I was as popular as you could. I was getting 10,000 pieces of mail a week from fans who wanted to be near me. 
He said, and the more powerful I became, and the more popular I became, and the more people wanted to come after me, guess what? The more empty I felt. He said, there just was no peace. I thought, well, this is the ultimate. I've, got the, I've grabbed the brass ring. I've got everything anybody could ever want, and I'm empty. And then he met Jesus. Amen? And his whole priorities changed. And as most of you know, he attends Pastor Rob's church at Calvary Thousand Oaks. And he, he, he's a new creation in Christ. But we try to find the answer in the things that the world has to offer and we'll still be spiritually dead. We've got to be grafted into the vine, the true vine, Jesus Christ. Apart from that, we can have no life. And he desires not that we just have life, but that we have life more abundant. And it says there that he prunes them. And that this word can also be cleanses or sanctifies. It's removing all that is dead and some that is alive that there may be growth. Vine dressers desire to make you and I as fruitful as possible. That's the Lord's desire, that we be fruitful. God didn't save us to be pew potatoes. Amen? He didn't save us just to give us the get out of hell free card so we could put it in our wallet and walk around and live a life just like the world. God saved us to use us for His glory. That we might have an impact. Does Santa Cruz County need Jesus Christ? Amen? And why are we here? It's not by chance that God puts you in Santa Cruz. It's by divine appointment. And He desires that we would reach Santa Cruz, Holy Cross, for His name. Amen? God wants to do a work here, but it's got to begin in our hearts. And we need to be bearing much fruit. And we'll talk about that fruit as we continue on what it is exactly. Verse 3. Now, speaking to the apostles, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Now, I love this. You've been cleansed. And how were they cleansed? By the word of God. What's our theme verse at Calvary Santa Cruz? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What is it that transforms people's lives? Their lives are transformed by God's word. God's word changes us. It makes us into new creations. It conforms us more into his image. That's why I say read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? We need to crack the Bible open. We need to spend time daily in His Word. You ever notice when you're struggling, you haven't had much of a devotional life? You ever notice when you don't open up the Word, you don't spend time in worship, you don't spend time in presence, in His presence, and now you're too tired to go on Wednesday night, and you, you know, I just don't have time to read my Bible right now, and I get in my car, and I'll, I'll listen to sports instead of worship, and before you know it, your walk is suffering. And He's saying here, you know what, you are cleansed by my Word. Are you struggling? Spend more time in the Word. It's amazing how when you feed on the Word of God, that you're strengthened in your walk to live with Him. And He cleanses you. He prunes you through His Word. He prepares you to bear even more fruit. Have you ever noticed when you spend time in God's Word, you have a, a deeper love for Him, a greater passion for the things that He has a passion for? In Psalm 119, it says, How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your Word. The Bible says, Thy Word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. In Ephesians 5, it's speaking of husbands and wives. It says, sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word of God. Hey guys, is your home clean? Is your home been cleansed? And I'm not talking about a power washer, okay? I'm talking about God's word. We need to sanctify our homes with the word of God. We need to be guys who open up the Bible with our children and pray with our families and pray with our wives and walk into holiness and be examples before our children. Not coming to church and pretending to be something and then going home and living ungodly lifestyles and our kids go, oh, that's what a Christian looks like. Oh, it's another hypocrite. God desires that we walk in holiness, amen? And that we be people that serve Him with our whole heart. Verse 4, it says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now what does it mean to abide? 
Abide means to be completely and totally reliant upon something else for life. When we abide in Christ, we're saying, Lord, I am 100% reliant upon you to, be, to live. We're in deep, committed fellowship with the Lord. Jesus is about to go away, and where he was going, they could not come, yet he instructs them, abide in me. I'm going away, abide in me. Well, what does that mean, Lord? You're going away, how can we abide in you? And he's talking to them about abiding in him by faith by drawing all their life and nourishment from Him, from the vine, being dependent upon and obedient to the Lord. And I love this. He says, abide in me and I in you. How does He abide in us? That's it. It's the Holy Spirit, guys. You know what? Doesn't it blow you away to know that God lives inside of you? You're not God. Let's just make it real clear. This is Santa Cruz. i got to clear that up, all right? Two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not Him. Amen? But here's the reality. God does live inside of us. We're not standing on anything. I'm God like Shirley MacLaine. That's not what I'm talking about. But God lives inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And what's awesome to know is that we abide in Him, but He also abides in us. And the Holy Spirit is that down payment on heaven. He's saying, you are my child. You are my children. I love you. I have a relationship with you. And here's a down payment. Here's my engagement ring that I'm going to give to you as my bride. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you that you do not walk this life alone. But he says, I'm in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. We cannot bear fruit apart from the Lord. Amen? You know, I can't figure out why I just am not having an impact at work. I can't figure out why I've not been able to share my faith with anyone. You know, here's a sad statistic. Over, I, and I, again, who knows how reliable, but I, I read this in, in Christianity Today years ago, that over 90-some-odd percent of all Christians have never led one person to the Lord in their lifetime. What's the Great Commission? Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Does that sound like an effective church when most, a vast majority of people have never even led one person to Christ? That tells me a couple things. One, we're not living sold out enough. Amen? When you're sold out for God, people are going to go, dude, what is up with you? Man, what, what is going on with you? You're, you're, man, you're radical. Praise God. That's okay to be radical for God. Amen? It's okay to be in love with the creator of the universe. It's okay to understand why you were created. And sadly, most people, it's, well, Christianity's part of my life. It's part of what I am. You know, it's something I do on Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes. If the guy doesn't talk too long, go an hour and a half, right? I mean, it's just a little part of my life, but it's not who I am. But he's saying, you know what? Abide in me, and I'll abide in you, and only then can you bear fruit. If your life's not been fruitful, let me encourage you something. Abide in Christ. Spend time with Him. Go deeper in your relationship with Him. No matter how intelligent you are, how wealthy you are, how determined you are, how hardworking you are, you cannot, you cannot bear fruit apart from Him. The more time you spend in the presence of God, the more fruitful your life will be. Amen? There's no substitute for that, guys. I don't care. Well, you, Pastor Dave, you just don't understand. I got a job. I'm working 60 hours a week. And, and then I got these, you know, I, and of course I got the ski boat. I got to go water skiing. And then, you know, and then I've got this thing over, you know, and I got all these other things I got to do. And Lord, I'm just too busy for God right now. You know what? Repent if you're too busy for God. Amen? Aren't you glad he wasn't too busy for us? Aren't you glad he wasn't too busy? You know, I could go to the cross, but thinking Starbucks looking good right about now. I mean, he didn't do that. 
He was never too busy for us. He had one focus, one passion, one heart, one desire, and that's to restore sinful man back to a holy God. He paid the price for us. How can we be too busy for God? Amen? I'll tell you what, I know that, and I, I, I have to be careful, because sometimes I don't want to give you my convictions, in a sense. I don't want you to have to say, well, I'm convicted about this, so you have to be. But I want to encourage you with something. Nothing else matters but Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters. Not, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And you know what? When we compromise and we put other things in front of Him, it's idol worship. Guys, let me encourage you. Make Jesus first. Amen? And when you do, you won't be bummed. Dude, I missed out on getting lit last night, right? I, I, I didn't throw up in the gutter this morning. I don't have a headache today. You know, I, I, I didn't get to strive after stuff that's perishing, right? Um, you know, re the reality is that there's like a big pile of dirt over here, and you're just taking shovels and moving the pile. I mean, this stuff, you know, but my pile is bigger than yours. Well, God bless you, right? I got a golden pile. Well, God bless you, right? I mean, and so often we get our eyes off of the Lord, and we get our eyes off of what really matters, and it's abiding in Him and knowing Him in an intimate and a personal way. He's a great and an awesome God. He created you to have a relationship with Him. You're feeling empty? It's because you're not doing what you're created to do. Amen? Worship Him. Have that intimate fellowship and relationship with Him. We abide in Him, and when we abide in Him, we will have a fruitful walk. I hear people say, well, God doesn't speak to me. No, he's speaking, you're not listening. God doesn't use me. He wants to, you just won't let him. Amen? Well, God won't, you know, I never get to share my faith. God would love to use you to share your faith. Just be available. Be in his presence. Spend time with his people. But you know what? Pray for your mission field. Pray for your neighbors by name. God will answer that prayer every time. God, you don't say, God used me, and he says, no. He says yes to that every time, amen? And I you know what, some of you, I've seen what God's doing in your life. You're so in love with the Lord, you're contagious. People go, what, dude, what's up with you? It's Jesus is what's up with me, amen? Abide in him, and when we do, we will bear much fruit. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So it goes from some fruit to more fruit to much fruit. How do you know you're abiding? How do you know if you're abiding in Christ? You're bearing fruit. Now, let's just talk about some of this fruit real quick. What is some of the fruit the Bible talks about? Number one, leading the lost to the Lord. By the way, that's not just Pastor Dave and Billy Graham's job. Amen? God doesn't, you know, the, the electric company, I've shared this with you before, the electric company doesn't take all the lights in Santa Cruz County and put them on one street corner, Right? Because if they did, you'd have one real halogen light lit up place and the rest of the county would be pitch black, right? What they do is they put the lights all over the county so that we can see wherever we go. God does the same thing with us. He put you in your workplace and you might be the only light there. Amen? Billy Graham's probably not coming to your work this week. Amen? He's probably not going to be walking around in your neighborhood either, right? But God puts us there to be the light. And one of those ways of bearing fruit is winning the lost. Another thing of bearing fruit is walking in holiness, sanctified lives. You know what? Grace is, it, salvation's a free gift, but it's not cheap. Amen? It cost our Savior everything. And we should not, so we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Sin ought to grieve our hearts. Amen? Compromise and sin ought to break us. Why were people attracted to Jesus? First of all, because he's God, and that's a good reason, amen? But he was holy, and he was righteous, and he was perfect. 
You want people to be attracted to Jesus and you? Walk in holiness. Amen? Live life set apart for him. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be different than the world. Amen? They are attracted to Jesus because he was different. They will come to us and desire what we have if we live lives different from him. Another fruit of the Holy Spirit is giving. Giving of our first fruits. If you're visiting here, let me just encourage you. I don't talk about money. You ask anybody here, never talk about money. Let me tell you why. Because God is the provider. Jehovah Jireh. But let me encourage you at the same time. We don't even pass an offering. But let me encourage you with this. We should be giving. Amen? But we give not because some man manipulates us on TV, right? Not because someone tells you, you send me a seed offering, and then God will return it tenfold. Now, don't be giving for that. That's the wrong motive. You give because you love the Lord. Amen? You never give out of compulsion. Don't give because someone's twisting your arm up behind your back. You give because you say, you know what, Lord? It's all yours, every bit of it. And Lord, I desire to give the first fruits back to you just to show you the priority in my life. And often, I've never said this here in the three years we've been here, but I'm going to say it now. I believe you can find out where somebody's heart is with the Lord by looking in their checkbook. You find out what their priorities are. You know, we've got to spend money on the vacation home and spend money on this and spend money on that, but I can't send my kids to Christian camp because, well, we don't have the money. Right? We don't give of our first fruits to the Lord. We give them what's left over. Give God the first. Didn't he give us the best? Amen? And I'm talking about not just your finances, but your time. You know, we've talked about, don't be drooling on your Bible at 1130 at night because you just finally opened it up and you've got, you know, three minutes of wake time left. I'm, okay, I'm going to give to the Lord now, right? And be drooling in your Bible. You know, give of God, give God of your first fruits of your time, the first fruits of your energy. Also, it's good works. We don't do good works so God will love us. We do good works because God loves us. Amen? The evidence, the fact that our lives have been changed is we do good things. We love others. And then lastly, giving praise to his name and then the fruit of the Spirit. So when you're loving others supernaturally, when, you're ha- when you have that kind of relationship with God, you praise him with your lips, you do good works practically, you give of your first fruits, you walk in holiness and obedience to his word, you boldly witness to the lost, and that's the evidence of a life that's grafted into the vine. And man, I love it. It says, Holy Spirit, he said, you will, you, you'll bear fruit, then you will bear more fruit, then you will bear much fruit. You know what I thought about? The Holy Spirit. Three, the three different uh, ways the Holy Spirit's talked about in the Bible. With us, in us, upon us. Amen? Holy Spirit is with everyone. How do unbelievers know that something is wrong? People say to me, I don't believe there's a God, but then they have a, a definition of right and wrong, so where did that come from, right? But here's the reality, that the reason that the most ungodly person on the planet knows, at least most of them, know it would be wrong to go and harm a small child. You go out front here and start beating up a small child, and, and unbelievers all over the place are going to run out of their house and whoop up on you, right? And they should, because they know that's wrong. How do they know that's wrong? Because the Holy Spirit is with everybody. He's out here. He's with them, and we call him our conscience, Right? That's how we know right and wrong. But here's the good news, guys. When we become Christians, he goes from being with us to being in us. That's what the Bible says. No longer out here, but in here. Walking with me, talking with me, guiding and leading and directing every aspect of my life. That's the God we serve. But here's another awesome thing. As just as it says fruit, then more fruit, then much fruit, I believe that that's talking about the Holy Spirit not being just with us or in us, but as it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Holy Spirit shall come, what? Upon you. And the word there. And you will receive power is dunamis. This is where we get the word dynamic or dynamite, right? And when the Holy Spirit's upon you, you have a dynamite walk with God. 
It blows people away, and you bear much fruit. Not that you would be glorified, but that he, he would be glorified. It's radical in the world today to make a stand for God. May we be radical. You're all as close to the Lord as you want to be. Everybody in this room, you're as close to the Lord as you want to be. Well, I'm not very close, then you don't want to be very close. Pastor Dave bringing some heat this morning. But here's the thing. It's true. In my own walk, I'm, not as, I'm as close to God as I want to be. If I make him the priority, if I pursue him with my whole heart, I'm going to have the most intimate relationship with him in the world. But if he's down on my priority list, I've got an hour and a half a week for him. I've got other things. My job's more important. My this is more important. My that's more important. Then my walk with him is not going to be very strong. And I'm not going to bear very much fruit. You're as close to God as you want to be. He doesn't move. We do. Amen? I'm not as close to God as I used to be. Who moved? Amen? Did God leave? You were sleeping one night and he went home? No, that's not what happened. You stopped pursuing him. You stopped opening up the word. You stopped praising his name in your car. You stopped worshiping the Lord. All of a sudden, church became something you did once in a while. It's not the priority of your life anymore. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. You want to have a fruitful life? Pursue God with your whole heart. Apart from him, the Bible says we can do, what does it say in that verse? Nothing. You know if you look up that word in the, in the original Greek, you know what it means? Nothing. Apart from him, you can do nada, nothing, zip, zero, nothing. And sometimes we don't pray, we ask God to bless, you know, we, we go mock to with our hair on fire, and we get to the very last moment of what we're doing, and then we ask God to bless it. We don't ask him to direct it, or lead us, or guide us, or direct us. We, we make all the decisions ourselves, and then we get down to the very last second, and we, oh God, could you bless us, by the way? I've been running mock 2 for six months without you, but now I'm at the point of decision, could you help me out here? You know what? A lot of times we put ourselves in positions we don't need to be in because we don't pursue God. Are you bearing fruit? Are you in love with Jesus? What are you passionate about? Think about it. What are you passionate about? What is it that consumes your thought life? What do you think about more than anything else? That's your passion. What do you consume with? If you could have anything you wanted, what would it be? That shows where our hearts are. You know what? With, with what you're passionate about, will it deliver you or ultimately will it destroy you? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you're abiding in Christ, guess what? It's, you don't have to strive to love people. You don't have to strive to bear fruit. You ever seen an apple tree striving to give up an apple? Oh, apple, right? I mean, you ever seen that? Oh, you know, I mean, that's not happening. It just bears fruit because it's an apple tree, amen? And as Christians, it's not a drudgery. Oh, i got to love that guy. Oh, right? Oh, i got to pray. Oh, man. Oh, i got to pray. Oh, i got to read my Bible, right? It's not striving. It's a get-to, not a have-to, amen? It's an absolute joy. Lord, thank you. I love you. You know what? Nobody had to call me and tell me to go see my wife when I was courting her. You might want to go talk to her. You might want to go over there. I mean, I love my wife, so I couldn't wait. Oh, yeah, we're almost over. I got to go see her, right? I mean, you know how it is, right? And it was a joy. It wasn't a have to. I didn't have to strive. Nobody stuck a gun to my head and forced me to go do it. The same is true in the love relationship with the Lord. We're abiding in Him. We bear fruit. There's no striving. It's a get to, not a have to. Amen? Let me just tell you from my own personal experience, I cannot believe that I get to do what I get to do. I cannot believe it. I, I feel like I'm the most blessed man on the planet that I get to be your pastor. 
I can't believe this. I can't believe that I get to study the Bible. I can't believe that I get to open it up and share with you guys. I can't believe that I get to share the love of God with people that are hurting and without Him. What a privilege. And you know what? You're all as called as I am. Amen? We're all in the ministry. It's not a destination. It's a way of life. We've all been called to it. Abiding, not struggling, not striving. But He flows through us when we're grafted into Him. If you're, abiding, if you're not abiding in Christ, you can do nothing. But the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, just like the word nothing means nothing, you know what all means? It means all. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You got a burden for something? Oh, that just seems impossible. I don't, I just, that just seems, I don't think I could do that. That's too hard. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. I have a burden for teenagers. I have a burden for Santa Cruz County. I have a burden for the lost. There's so many things I want to see God do. And you know what? Our God can do it. Amen? You know what? Could Santa Cruz one day be known like the Bible Belt of Northern California? It could. Oh, man, whoa, that, I, I don't know if all means that all, right? I mean, some of us are over here going, I've been to Santa Cruz a long time. But God can do it. God can turn the city upside down, but it's going to have to start in each one of our hearts. There's no way I'm getting to chapter, verse 17. All right, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, branches are too soft to build with, so they're only good for one or two things, bearing fruit or burning. So a branch either bears fruit or it dies, and they rip it out, and they throw it in the fire. Is this pretty self-explanatory? Either we're bearing fruit because we know God, or we're dead sticks, and the end result is going to be burning in the fire. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of hell. Now, I want you to understand that God is a loving and a gracious God that desires none should perish, no, not one. His desire is none should perish. But sadly, if we're not grafted into the vine, typically it's because, well, in every case, it's because we don't want to be. The branch says, dude, I don't need the vine. I'm good on my own, Right? I can make it happen myself, right? Dude, you're a dead stick. No, man, I'm good, right? I don't need the vine. And finally, what happens is you're given your wish. The, vine, the, the branches, the dead branches are gathered up. Again, good for nothing else but bearing fruit. And if they do not bear fruit, they're gathered and thrown into the fire. Jesus is the only way. He's the only truth and the only life. And those who do not abide in him are dead and have brought judgment upon themselves. As we abide in him, the, second, the next thing that we see is that we are eternally secure. I want to encourage you with something. I love what Rawls says. If you're not abiding, you're not going, man, right? He's talking about heaven. Dude, if you're not abiding, you're not going, right? Talking about heaven. And it's true that we should be abiding, and if we are abiding in Christ, we will bear fruit. But it's not us doing good works that proves our salvation. It's because we are saved that we abide, amen? If you've been born again, you will abide. Now, we'll have varying levels of fruit. Some will bear a little bit, some will bear a lot, some will bear a ton. And that's what the Bible tells us. But we will be bearing fruit, and we will be abiding in Him. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. If you abide in Him, not only will you bear fruit, but your prayer life will be incredible. Why? If you're hanging out with the Lord, and you're spending time in His Word, and you're seeking His will, you're going to pray according to His will. You're going to pray for the things that He desires you to pray for. You're not going to say, Lord, give me $50 million and a new Cadillac in my driveway. Please, please, please. please. I mean, you're not praying for that. Because you know those are things that will get your eyes off of God. 
You're going to be praying for things according to his perfect will, but you cannot know his will if you don't spend time in his presence. It says in the Bible, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. The closer we get to the Lord, the more his thoughts will become our thoughts, the more he becomes at home in our heart, the more we meditate on his word, the more we spend time desiring and seeking after his will. When we pray, we pray on target. Amen? Will God answer the prayer of, Lord, give me an opportunity to, to be a light for you today? Is he going to answer that prayer? Lord, I pray for my neighbors and my friends. Give me a chance to share Jesus with them. Is he going to answer that prayer? Every time. Lord, make me famous so everyone will think I'm wonderful. He ain't answering that prayer, right? But what happens is, again, as we spend time knowing him and knowing his heart, as he's dwelling in your heart, you ask what you want and it will be given to you. People used to say to me, Pastor Dave, I don't know what to do. And I used to tell people all the time, love God, seek his face with your whole heart, and then do what you want. Amen? You know why? Because when you're hanging out with him and spending time in his presence, pursuing him with your whole heart, guess what? You're going to want what he wants. Amen? It's amazing. In my flesh, would I want to quit my job and take a massive pay cut and move out of my house into a trailer if God didn't tell me to? Amen? From the world's perspective, would you want to leave your profession or quit your job or put aside your hobby and, and sell that boat you paid a bunch of money for to buy, you know, well, you know, I, I, but you know what, Lord, it's getting in my way of you. It's getting in the way of my relationship with you. The world's going to think you're crazy sometimes. But pursue him, and when you do, you're going to want what he wants. Nothing better than seeing people come to know God. I'll tell you what, I've loved the last two and a half years. Many of you in this room got saved in this church in the last two and a half years. That's awesome to me. Eternal significance. Is there anything better than that? The answer is no. Some of you knew the Lord, but now you're growing and you're excited about God and you're sharing your faith with people. Is there anything better than that? No. To me, there's nothing greater. I'd rather have that than win the lottery. I'd rather have that than anything the world has to offer. Abide in me and what you ask, I'll give to you because you're going to want what I want. You're going to desire what I desire. A couple more verses and we'll stop. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. When we abide in Christ, not only do we bear fruit, not only are we eternally secure, not only do we have an effectual prayer life, but we bring glory to the Father. Let me ask you a question. Does your life bring glory to the Father? Do people look at you and go, God's awesome? Or do they look at you and go, what kind of God are you serving? Right? I mean, do you bring glory to His name? And again, we're not perfect, guys. We blow it. And... I blow it every day. How about you? Amen? And I'm convicted about my sin. But do we bring glory to his name? Do people see something different about us? Do they want to know the God that we serve? Are they persecuting us one moment and then coming to us for prayer the next? Right? You know what I'm talking about? The people that give you heat one day and then when things are tough, who's the Christian I know? I mean, who knows God around here? Let me go talk to them, right? Do you bring glory to his name by the way you live your life? The more we abide, the more fruit we bear, the more like Christ we become, the more we point men to Christ and God is glorified. You know what? You know what, what brings the greatest glory to God? When people see the transformation in you. Amen? You ever ran into somebody that knew you back when? And they go, dude, what happened to you? Dude, I have some, I mean, I, do, I don't do that anymore. What? Yeah, come on, man, let's go party. Oh, no, I, I ain't into that anymore. What do you mean I ain't into that? No, I, I ain't into that anymore. Come on, man, let's go check us a bit. No, no, I love my wife. I'm loyal. No, I, I'm not into that. What? Dude, what are you talking about? Hey, man, well, 
you know, dude, can I pray for you? Pray for me? What happened to you? Right? That's the greatest miracle of all is when they see that transformation. This is the person you used to be, and this is the person you are now. And that happens when you hang out with Jesus. Amen? You hang out with Jesus, he rubs off on you. Amen? He starts glowing through you. Moses goes up on the mountain, he comes down, he's got to put a veil on his face because he's glowing in the dark for God. Amen? When we abide in him, we become like him. We walk in holiness, we pursue his will, we love his people, we pray the way he prays. We bring glory to the Father. What an awesome God we serve. One more, two more verses and we'll quit, I promise. And the fa- as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You know what else is a fruit? The fruit of abiding in Christ. We bear much fruit. You know, we know that our, our salvation is secure. We glorify the Father. We have an effective prayer life, but we also have a supernatural love. Amen? You know what I love about you guys? Many things. But you know what I love about you guys? Is I love to hear new people say, man, you guys love each other. Nothing blesses your pastor's heart more than when I hear people say, you know, I visited your church, and man, you guys love each other. I think, man, that's the way it ought to be. Amen? You know, I, go to, I went to some other church, and they didn't know. I was there three months, and no one said hi to me. And I'm not bagging on anybody else. I'm just saying, may we never lose that. As this church continues to grow, if God blesses and we're a thousand people, we better be loving on every new person every single week. Amen? Have a supernatural love. A love that, that word for love is agape. It's esteeming something outside of yourself greater than yourself. What a blessing it is that we're able to do that. But we can only do it when we abide in Christ. For without Him, what? We can ab- do absolutely nothing. Let me close with this by just reviewing. And I'm right in the middle of the message, but... God bless you guys. Those chairs are hard. Um, As we allow the Spirit of the living God to flow through us, there's several things that happen. Number one, there's fruitfulness in our walk. There's effectiveness in our prayer life. There's security in our salvation. We bring glory to the Father. We have a supernatural love for the world. And next week, as we look at at being a friend of God, we're also going to see that when you're a friend of God, you're an enemy of the world. How many can bear witness with that? Right? If you're a friend of God, you're going to be an enemy of the world. The world's not going to like it, man. Keep that stuff to yourself, man. You know, don't be abiding all over me, right? (laughs) But you know what? Let's abide in Christ. Can God God do great things? Does he want to do great things with us? Amen? Can we walk in holiness? Without him, we can do nothing. But with Christ, we can do all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace, and we thank you for your word. And we just pray, Lord, you would help us to abide in you. Help us, Lord, to pursue you with our whole heart. And Father, I just thank you for the the fact that when we seek after you, Lord, that you bless us. Lord, that our lives will bear fruit. That, Lord, we'll be secure in our salvation. We'll have a burden for the lost. Lord, we'll bring glory to your name. What a great God you are. And, Lord, I pray, Father, for anybody who's here, maybe is struggling in their walk. Lord, just strengthen them. Strengthen me, Father. Help us, Lord, to, per- to seek after you with, with our whole hearts, Lord, to desire you above our necessary food, above anything else, Lord. Make you first. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and Lord, I want to pray for Santa Cruz County, Lord, would you, I pray you'd bring revival here, and begin in the hearts of every person sitting in these chairs this morning. Begin with us, we might impact this county. Lord, we love you and we praise you, in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand up and close with the worship song.
your trials will be over. 